This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking riding in the butt one word at a time. And so we have good news this week. Uh, the first thing is that Taylor has her microphone back because the last couple of episodes we didn't have a microphone for Taylor, but there's also some bad news tempered with that. And the bad news is that Taylor <laughs> is has been in the process of moving for the last a uh, week and a half or so. So she's sort of living out of boxes right now. So I'm excited that you even <laughs> found your microphone. So am I. It's been sheer and utter chaos. And for those who are keeping score, in a, I guess it was the six-week time period, we had Thanksgiving, Christmas, I had to New Year's, three birthdays that all fall at the same time period, a book launch, deadlines, on the other projects that I don't really talk about, but one day shall be made known. And I had to sell a house and move all in the same time frame. And then <laughs> I did it. Like some of the deadline and move and everything all kind of came together, like within two days of each other. And then um, now I'm going on book tour. <laughs> the time you guys hear this, I have been on book tour, I think. But um, yeah, I, I honestly don't even know what end is up some days. And like, everything is in boxes. And I don't know what box because it was like this just chaotic dead working on deadlines and throwing things in. And so like, even trying to find paperwork. And now I'm dealing with taxes, which normally are incredibly enjoyable for me. Like that's like when, you know how they say when you walk dogs, it allows their minds to relax and they just follow the leader and, and it releases their neuroticism. That's doing taxes for me normally. <laughs> it's so much easier than writing. It's just numbers and making columns and organize, organization. But I've got to do all of that now. Like, there's so much bookkeeping and and things that I have not dealt with for the last year because of all the other chaos, and it's all also falling at the same time. And I'm just like, oh my god, if I can survive all the way till February with my brain and my body intact, it will be like I've just been let out of a mental cell, and I'm seeing the sun and the sky and the grass for the first time, and I don't even know how long. And I thought that's where we would be today when we recorded. We're, we're recording on the 20th, and uh, Taylor and I communicated via email last week to, to get this scheduled, and she said, I've got all this done, and this, and this, and this, and this. So I expected really calm Taylor when we got on the phone, and I got the <laughs> opposite, the exact opposite. But when I said, you know, I, I'm not the most sympathetic person in the world, but when I uh, was expressing empathy, she's like, yeah, but it's still better than writing. 
<laughs> so much easier than writing. I'd rather move and do taxes and have three birthdays and do all and this Christmas other stuff. And Thanksgiving. I'm the one who's got to organize all this stuff. You know, everybody, you know, when you're the mom, everything falls on you. Mom, where's this? Mom, how about that? Mom, do you have this? And it just never ends. And so, yeah, even that is easier than writing. So I'm like, yeah, I'm in a good place. This is fun. <laughs> Well, I want to give a quick update on something that we talked about roughly a year ago. And we were talking at that time about our plans for the year. And I threw out the, uh, this goal that I had of running in the Naples Daily News half marathon on January 19th, which was yesterday. And one of the great things about a goal like that is that it forces you to do a number of other things. A, get back in shape. Um, B, lose weight. Uh, C, you know, just do all this stuff so that you can actually run and compete and complete a 13-mile run. And so yesterday was the run, and I'm happy to say that I, you know, I I did a very good job. I was very pleased with where I finished. Um, I lost 15 pounds during the process, and as I was sitting wow. there or standing there waiting, the way they there were I think 17 or 1800 people in the race. This is a big race. And there, this is the last Olympic qualifier race for some, some Olympic um, event. And so there are a few, I think there are like 20 super elite athletes in the field. So it's broken out by where you expect your per mile pace to be. So the, these, the really good people are up in the front. And as you get further back, it's the slower that you expect to be. But I was just sitting back there, surrounded by, or standing back there, surrounded by all these people as the race was started. Just so thankful that it was a beautiful day, and I was out here doing this. And at the age that I'm at, that I can still go out and run a half marathon, and it just, I, I feel really blessed today, and I'm super happy about it. And. So I, I, you know, I have some other running goals for this year that involve uh, running faster and shorter distances, <laughs> because man, that's that's wow. a lot of it. It takes in the last three months the uh, as you really start to add distance, the long runs over overrun your life because it takes a couple hours to do them. And then it takes a couple right. hours to recover yes. from them. So you need, you need to have four to six hours just blocked out because you can't do anything else because it's, it's so exhausting. Right, right. Yeah. So it's like, I had that to schedule sense. my whole week around these long runs and then, you know, just the hour daily run to go out and do that. But it was, it was fun. I'm glad I did it. And I'm you know, tickled that it's behind me and I hope to do it again next year. But it's not not a goal I'm for really next impressed. year. I just I hope to do it again next Super year. Super yeah. impressed. So it was fun. So what are we going to talk about today, Kayla? Today we are going to talk about the difference between showing emotion and evoking emotion in readers. This show comes courtesy of a listener question. This was sent in to us by MZ Lowe, who is an unpublished author who is writing her first fantasy series and I believe a longtime listener of the show. And she had some questions. So the question um, is this. We always hear the show don't tell mantra, but evoking emotions in the reader seems to go beyond just showing facial features and body gestures. 
To get the reader to feel the emotion themselves seems to be the key to bonding the reader to the character and drawing them through the story and then on to the sequel book. We all know if the character is crying doesn't mean the reader is too, and we certainly don't want our characters to be anxious, but the reader skips to the next scene to find out what happens. So, do you think every scene needs to be evoking emotions, happy, dread, sad, worry, etc., or just the main pivotal ones? And how do you move beyond all these body gestures that show the emotion to get at the heart of the reader feeling the desired emotion? These are really, really good questions, and we haven't really discussed them from this angle before on the show. So I'm I'm really grateful for these questions. And then on top of that, um, MZ sent in some material to work with if I felt we needed it for examples, which we might get to some of it. I, I Because we're recording this right before I rush out getting ready to go on my first book event, um, I did not have time to put it together in any kind of visual tutorial, so we'll see how we get, how far we get, and how well we go. But as I was reading the questions and then also the material, and I got to thinking about it, especially the question that says, "How do we move beyond all these body gestures that show the emotion to get at the heart of the reader feeling the desired emotion?" It, there is, I realize, a big difference between showing emotion and evoking emotion. Now, whether or not every scene needs to be evoking emotions or just the main pivotal ones, I think is going to have a lot to do with what you're writing and what your intent is. You definitely, we definitely want readers to feel, to feel engaged because that's the whole reason anybody picks up a book in the first place. It's entertainment, obviously, but there are lots of ways to be entertained and lots of other things a reader can do for fun. They, If you know they're an outdoorsy type like Steve, then what is to make them want to pick up a book versus go out and do something outside? What makes somebody pick up a book versus... Um, do do their hobby or whatever. And the real core reason that I believe most people read is we read to feel. We read to experience other people's lives vicariously. And so it's not that every scene needs to be evoking um, feeling emotions like, you know, happy, dread, sad, worry, but it has to evoke a sense of life or a sense of engaging. You have to feel. You have to be there in presence, like it, your 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 mind. Because when we think, when we see things in our imagination, our bodies respond to that as if it's really happening. If you have a memory of some time that you were afraid, your body actually will begin to experience those same sensations. Your heart will begin to beat fast again. You'll you'll become uncomfortable because your mind cannot distinguish between memory and present, 
uh, fantasy reality when your body can't, even though your mind can. Your body still reacts to it. So what you're going for when you're writing these stories is to engage the reader in a way that all of their senses are engaged, their body is engaged, they are there. So to that sense, do does every scene need to be evoking motion? Yes. But does it have to be this roller coaster ride of happy, dread, sad, worry, whatever? No. It just has to be something that they feel a part of that that they can experience, right? Like going to we go to an amusement park to experience the thrills. That's what reading does. It's just we all have different a different sense of what those thrills are, and that's called genre. So the next breaking that down is between showing emotion with all the body gestures and whatever and getting to evoking emotion. So the body gestures, the show don't tell is really sorely misunderstood. I think I didn't understand it for the longest time because what you're trying to get at with show don't tell is provide the reader the material they need to build their own mental movie versus telling them what should be in that mental movie. So you don't go, Jane was sad because you're just, telling the reader Jane was sad, you show Jane be tearful, right? That, those are the body gestures that we're talking about here when we're talking about showing emotion. But the thing is, showing emotion like this, that's a visual engagement. And we show it through those character things, hands clenched, shoulders slump, expressions fall, bodies lift with excitement. But showing that showing emotion can only do that. It can only show emotion. So you're not telling it, you're showing it. But showing emotion cannot, in and of itself, elicit emotion. They're two completely separate things. So as part of craft, we do have to show those body emotions um, instead of just tell what they're trying to to describe, because that's how good storytelling is done, is allowing the reader to put together the meaning of what they're seeing, right? So, but but so that's separate. That's not going to evoke emotion in the same way. And the the why behind that is psychological. It's probably more than we have time to explain in this particular podcast episode. I do have material that goes into that more depth. It's in an older Hack the Craft tutorial, which is on Patreon at one of the higher patronage levels. And it's in a tutorial called Perspective Anchoring and Flow. And we've talked about perspective anchoring and flow before on this podcast. Um, Those are sort of three key foundations under which almost all craft and story uh, writing problems fall. They, they, They all fall under one of those things. And it's sort of a guide that I use to help explain why things are working or not working. But under perspective, we I talk about how you you can't engage the reader or elicit that emotion through description. And showing emotion, the hand gestures, that is that's description. So you can't elicit emotion through that. And, and the basic reason for it is that it, it's almost impossible to get a third party, or in this case it's your reader, to engage with something that you're just telling them about. We, as humans, we emotionally connect with what we experience, right? Our our, our own 
life, like our, the bubble that we live in, that's where our emotions engage. And so having something described to us, which in this case would be the hand gestures or the tears or whatever, that's not the same as experiencing it or witnessing it firsthand. So when you have it just told to you like that, you can understand it, you you build a mental picture of it, but you don't emotionally connect to it the same way as if you were actually seeing it or experiencing it yourself. And and I do go into examples of how to, to show that, how to prove that in, in that older tutorial. So evoking emotion isn't visual. It's empathetic. And when you evoke emotion in another person, it, it actually requires them to step into that person's shoes, which allows them to feel what that person's feeling, which you can't do that by showing. You have to do it by telling. But it's it's a special kind of telling. It's telling from inside the character's head. It's letting them feel what the character feels. And to to do that effectively, you've got to get really close up inside the character and write it as the character is thinking and feeling it. So the difference is observation, like we're seeing the body movements, or empathy. And that comes from feeling what the character's feeling. And the trick in telling it, because that's the only way to, you, you can't show what a character is feeling except through body, body movements or through other people's observation of that body movements. The only way to, to know what a character feel, is feeling is to actually just come right out and say it. But the closer you get inside that character's head, the more stream of conscience it's going to get. And you avoid feeling words. And those feeling words are words like worried, feared, felt, thought. He thought that she whatever. She worried that he whatever. You eliminate that because that is telling from a distance. And that's that's people go, oh, you're supposed to show, not tell. Well, in this instance, you are supposed to tell, but when you show it from a distance or tell it from a distance, it, it feels like telling and not showing. Whereas if you come in real close inside the character's head, even though you're telling it, it feels like showing because the reader is so close and so engaged, it's almost like they're seeing and feeling through the through the character's eyes. So when you eliminate words like she worried, she feared, she felt, whatever, you just say it like you're that character. What if this, then this, oh no, but that, that, oh God, not now. That type of like you're inside their head, you're telling, you're telling it's narrative, but it doesn't feel that way. So going back to the main question, yes, we need to show the emotion, not tell it in terms of the body gestures and all of that. You don't want to say Bob looked angry, although you probably could actually get away with those exact words under certain circumstances. But you would do more like, you know, Bob's face flushed, you know, and his cheeks got red and kind of tells the same. It shows it instead of telling it. Right. So that kind. Yes, we need that. Absolutely. But to evoke emotion, you're going to need a whole lot more than that. And that's when you get up close inside the character's head and you tell it from that character's perspective. Now, where that sometimes can contradict is if, and, and I, I do this a lot, 
the character you're trying to evoke emotion for isn't the character whose point of view you're in right now. And the secret to doing that is still the same, being close up inside that character's head as they are thinking or feeling about the character for whom you're trying to evoke emotion. So hypothetically, I don't write killers, serial killer books, but you could be inside the killer's head thinking things about the victim who's, or potential victim, who's your point of view character, I mean, who's your main character that everybody is following and loving. And if that killer is sitting there thinking about things that they could do to that potential victim, that is going to evoke emotion on behalf of the character that you love because you are afraid for them. You are afraid that this thing might happen, but you have to be up close inside that bad character's head thinking and feeling it as that and and expressing it as that character and not from a distance for that to work. The further back you draw, the more it's going to feel like you're just telling and not showing. So those are the two differences. And if we have time, I do have an example that MZ Lo sent in that I can read and I can I can point out the different places where she did a really good job of getting inside this character's head and expressing those little beats of inner characterness, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna coin that one character. <laughs> um, so, um, as already explained, uh, she writes epic fantasy, and in this particular setup, um, she's already gone through the hard work of editing out most of the magic references, things that weren't pertinent. Uh, to make it easier to follow the scene. And this is a third person, close, past tense, which is way more technical explanation that this is coming from her, not from me, because I would be have to sit here for 30 minutes to try and figure out what this was. Um, the setup is Grace, um, the mother. She's a mother, widow, and sorcerer. And Phoebe, her eight-year-old daughter, they're fleeing the capital city in a horse-drawn carriage with two bodyguards, who are David and Michael. The names have been changed to make it easier. I already said that. Okay. So the city gates are closed, and the police are searching for a murderer believed to be a white-haired mother with a young daughter. So Grace has cut and dyed her hair and dressed Phoebe as a boy with the hope of bluffing their way through the checkpoints. So the emotion that we're trying to convey here is suspense and tension, escalating worry. And this scene is a key transition point in the story where we want the reader to feel the same tension that Grace does approaching the checkpoint. Now, personally, having read through this, I think that it's already really well done. There's really not a lot that I can comment on, on in here, um, other to point out the uh, the parts that are eliciting emotion. And so to, to improve it would be very, very small tweaks. And they're not the types of tweaks that I'm going to have the time to go in and say, oh, move this here, move this here, here's how I would have done it, because it's really, really good already. It's a solid... Obviously, somebody has been listening to this podcast <laughs> and following a lot of the advice. I, I don't know. They might, it, the advice might have come from somewhere else, but this is this is strong writing. So the carriage swayed, rumbling across the North Bridge over the canal, and Grace hugged Phoebe. Remembered what we discussed last night? Today we play dress up. I'm Lady Smith. You're my nephew, George. Her daughter crossed her arms. But I want a bonnet, too. Only girls wear bonnets. I'm a girl but we're pretending you're a boy. Lord have mercy, not today, please not today. Phoebe threw her favorite toy to the floor. No, 
Okay, I'm going to break there for a second. Um, I bolded out, Lord have mercy, not today, please not today. That is inner dialogue up close inside the character's head that is telling us how the character feels in a way that feels like showing. That is good. The only thing I would do differently is move that line below where Phoebe threw her favorite toy to the floor and said no, so that she's actually responding to that and it gives it more weight. Just that one little change is what I would do. Um, I also do not know anything about these characters, but if these were real life characters, I have a hard time and it, it, it breaks my suspension of disbelief that what's about to follow comes from an eight-year-old. I would put this kid more at four. But there might be other, other things at play in the story that make this make sense, so I can't comment on that. But I'm prefacing it here just in case anybody else chokes on it. Just roll with us here, okay? All right, so continuing. Or let's back up. The way that I would do it, but we're pretending that you're a boy. Phoebe threw her favorite toy to the floor. No, Lord have mercy, not today. Please not today. The carriage stopped. David peeked out the lace curtain and frowned. Too late. The iron shields have already set up a check station at Lion's Gate, about a dozen ahead of us. From above, Michael spoke in his native tongue and David translated. Little interjection here. Minor point. I always like to point out things that I've learned that I got wrong, like the difference between concrete and cement. Translated is written. Interpreted is verbal. Um, 99.9% of .9 people won't know that, but, you know, if you want to be 100% accurate, there you go. From above, Michael spoke in his native tongue, and David interpreted. We'll press on here. The shield's already closed Kindred Gate due to another dead body found. Be ready. Grace clenched her fist. Fists. Precious, I need you to pretend you're George. So I highlighted out Grace clenched her fists. That is a showing of the body movements, but it works really well here. It also works really well because the movement happens before the speech. And as we've talked before, we got thought, action, speech. And so this is an action speech uh, sentence. We've got action speech. Grace clenched her fists. Perfect. We don't need to be inside Grace's frame of mind right now because we see her body language. I couldn't do it any better myself. So Grace clenched her fists. Precious, I need to pretend you're George. No, don't want to. Phoebe's hysterical whine simmered just below the surface. Too little sleep never boded well, even on the best of days. Grace took a meditative breath in for three, out for six, but failed to calm her racing heart. So that sentence right there, Grace took a meditative breath in for three, out for six, but failed to calm her racing heart. That is also an example of eliciting emotion in the reader because we're, we have their Grace's frame of mind. We are being shown it. In this case, it is being shown through body movement, um, not inner dialogue, but it kind of crosses over. It's kind of in between the two because she's breathing, but she's also thinking and we're knowing that it's failing to calm her racing heart. So continuing on, the carriage rolled closer and Phoebe screeched her displeasure, causing the pup in David's lap to bark in competition. No time for dramatics. 
Grace eyed the bag on the floor containing sleeping tablets, but the guards might question why a child would nap through their interrogation. So I highlighted out no time for dramatics because that is, again, another beat in which we are inside Grace's head, understanding her frame of mind. The only thing I would do differently here is I would leave it as its own line. Right now, it bleeds directly into Grace eyed the bag on the floor. I would separate it. And the reason I would separate it is for emphasis, because it forces a pause and it puts us deeper inside Grace's head where we, we feel it stronger. And, and using those hard breaks and separating things is a tool just as viable, as, as versatile as the words on the page, using white space, using line breaks. Um, and, and so sometimes if you're trying to emphasize a thought, a point, giving it its own line is the easiest way to do that, even more than explaining it. So no time for dramatics. Grace eyed the bag on the floor containing sleeping tablets, but the guards might question why a child would nap through their interrogation. Every dune she faced held a nest of scorpions. If the guards thought she abducted a child, they would hang her. If the guards discovered she hid her sorcery, they would hang her. If the guards recognized her as the owner of the buildings burnt down by dragon fire, they would hang her. Ugh, way too much hanging. So I bolded out that entire scenario right there. Every dune she faced held a nest of scorpions. If the guards thought she abducted a child, they would hang her. If the guards discovered she hid her sorcery, they would hang her. If the guards recognized her as the owner of the buildings burnt down by dragon fire, they would hang her. Ugh, way too much hanging. That is poetry. That is beautiful craft right there. The only thing I would do different is where it says every dune she faced held a nest of... I would break it before the if and give the if the guards thought she abducted a child its own line. Because every dune she faced held a nest of scorpions is like starting off this beat of if this, if this, if this, if that. So that right there, that whole little segment from every dune she faced all the way down to way too much hanging, that is inside the character's head. That is what evokes, that is a perfect example of what evokes emotion from a reader is we are inside Grace's head. We are understanding her thought process. We are understanding her fears. It is also giving us the stakes, showing us, reminding us what's at stake if they get stopped, right? It's it's poetry. This is this is beautiful. And and I love it. So I I just can't emphasize enough how well that right, is. Right. Let done. me let me ask a quick question here. You've mentioned yes. a couple situations where there were essentially like one-line thoughts. And then this is a more of a, an inner monologue, um, which, which I, I agree was really effective. Um, how would you differentiate be- between the two other than the fact that, you know, one's just a, a sentence and, and one's a little bit longer? Because the longer ones seem to be very impactful and the others maybe in, in some instances just because of the way they were written almost took me out of the story because I, I – couldn't figure out what was happening. You know, is this internal dialogue? Is it something else? Is is it a statement? I don't know. So the reason why I would line, like line break after those really short 
inner dialogue pieces is exactly for the reason that you just said. Because as you're reading, the I understands better than how it is that I'm expressing mm-hmm. it here, except even if you're listening to it on audio, when there's a line break, it forces a pause. And that pause basically indicates we begin again, right? So up right above this segment that we just read, there was that one sentence that said, no time for dramatics, mm-hmm. right? Then I would break. And then we go, Grace eyed the bag on the floor. So it's it's those types of breaks that allow the brain to differentiate. And it's subtle enough that it's not heavy handed, but it helps put perspective on what's happening so the, that you don't have to guess. And it doesn't pull you out of the story as much. If I don't know if that helps to, to answer that. It or does. Not. And I, I think you're right if seeing it, I'm, now I'm kind of seeing it in my mind, the way you're laying it out where there's line breaks and things like that, then it, then it would make more sense. But I personally, as a reader or listeners, as someone who listens to a lot of audiobooks as well, I really enjoy the longer internal monologues rather than just the little short one-liners that are sort of interspersed between dialogue and thought and you know there's like there's thought and then there's and inner I, dialogue and then there's more thought sometimes and i agree with you 100 percent um i also know that i can't say that everybody has to do it my way right um and we don't know in this particular piece of work how it has already been established right by now because this is in the middle of mm-hmm. the story it may have already been established that this is how the writing goes so the reading brain at this point in the story is going to skip over that okay. pickup like we're coming to it yep, fresh right but i i do agree with what you're saying my own personal preference is not to interrupt not to intersperse um with the the inner dialogue beats unless there's more to add so lord have mercy not today please not today i might personally take that out and either substitute it with some sort of inner tension like a a showing motion you know like a sigh or gritting teeth or something really small that doesn't interrupt the flow but but adds to it a little and then wait to put it put the different small lines together into one cohesive stressful you know god not today i don't have you know of all the days whatever right but again my way is not the only way. And the way that this is done here, I really truly feel that just breaking those out and putting them on a separate separate line would be enough to not interrupt the flow and keep it going. Okay, okay so I'm going to start back from the Every Dune part and then we'll yeah, keep on Yeah, because going. So I interrupted Dune, your flow. <laughs> <laughs> Every Dune she faced held a nest of scorpions. If the guards thought she abducted a child, they would hang her. If the guards discovered she hid her sorcery, they would hang her. If the guards recognized her as the owner of the buildings burned down by the dragon fire, they would hang her. Ugh, way too much hanging. The carriage wobbled from the horse's agitation and lurched forward. David pulled out his short sword, four ahead of us. Grace lifted her daughter's chin. This game is important, precious. Very, very. Like when you told me to ignore Lady Dixon's horrible rash on her face, even though it was right there? More than. Her daughter wiped away the tears. 
Then I'm Diego. Phoebe. Diego! Ugh, her precious one could outscream a chorus of trumpets. Fine, you're Diego, but no more changes. So I highlighted it out that, ugh, her precious one could outscream a chorus of trumpets. That is also that inner dialogue uh, showing us, getting us inside the character's head, showing us how um, the character feels. I would delete the ugh because we already had one ugh and that's just one too many. Um, I don't know if in this particular instance that's necessary to have that line there because we just got, we just finished this really poetic, awesome layup of the stakes. So we already know what they are, right? We've already established that her daughter's temperamental and this could be a problem. So here in this particular place is a case of less is more. We, we would probably be just as fine getting rid of it. So her daughter wiped away the tears. Then I'm Diego. Phoebe, Diego, fine. You're Diego, but no more changes. And we just delete that out scream a chorus of trumpets. So Michael thumped on top of the carriage and David gestured for silence. Grace hoped her daughter would comply. So Grace hoped her daughter would comply is another pulling us inside the character's head. And in this case, it uses a feeling word, which is hoped, but in this case, it works. Like you generally want to avoid those because they weaken, they are a form of telling, not showing, but under these circumstances, it works. Sometimes you just have to tell a thing, and this is one of those cases. And in, and in this situation, that inner dialogue in, uh, interruption fits really, really well. I would not delete that. It works, and we do not need more in this particular instance. So Michael thumped the top of the carriage, and David gestured for silence. Grace hoped her daughter would comply. Men's voices clipped in short commands, and Michael answered their basic questions. At the demand for permission, papers, and bribes, David left the carriage, shutting the door behind him. The iron shields argued, growing more skeptical of the answers. The pup growled. When the door flung open, Grace clutched Phoebe and prayed. And that's the end of that scene. Oh, come on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, this material was sent in as an example of how could we improve this and, you know, do more to elicit emotion in the reader. And I honestly believe it was done incredibly well as it was. There's really not much I would touch on it. I would give things their new lines, maybe delete a couple. But other than that, this was really, really strong writing. And it was a perfect example of allowing the reader to feel what the character is feeling and understand the stakes. And the thing that ties it all together and makes it work was because of that one blocked out sentence of every dune she faced. Without that, we would have a lot of action uh, some some of the showing of the body motions and a few inner dialogue pieces that would sort of help us understand, but it wouldn't have the same impact. So that that segment right there was what made the scene what it is. And it's a really it's a, just a perfect example of how to crawl into the character's head, give the stakes, let us know what the character is feeling and move on. And I know I'm not the only one who, when you ended the scene there, 
was going, oh, come on, tell us what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Then we know we have a readership yes. lined up when this yes. book so is that, finished, that right? really was well done. I was completely engaged in the story. So, yeah, well done. I don't have any more. That's it. So if we're going to make this show longer, you got to ask some questions, Nate. Yeah, I do have some questions, but we're at about 40 minutes right now, and I don't want it to go super long. What do you what do you think if we just like recorded a, a separate section and it's not going to be podcast link, but you know, 10, 10, 15 minutes or so and just put it up on Patreon. I think that's brilliant. Let's do it. Okay. So when hey, you know, this is fantastic because when you say let's do it, that means you have to do it. That's right. But you have to send me the file. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we will We'll have my questions as sort of an after show kind of thing because we don't want the podcast to go long. And, uh, I, you know, I, hopefully my questions will be interesting and, and the this part of it will be interesting as well. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, um, check it out on the show. If not, um, go to patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. It's a great way to support the show. And we appreciate you being here. Uh, we will be back in your ear again next Tuesday when I'm fairly certain we will be talking about Taylor's Tales from the Road. <laughs> See you guys next week.